Uh, our scripture reading for today is Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 15. So if you want to open up your Bibles there. Uh, we also have Bibles at the end of the pew, uh, if you would like to use that today. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, go ahead and take one of those home with you as a gift from us. Uh, so it's uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 15. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, have been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's get into our text this morning. Uh, we've got a uh, kind of a core pivot verse in the letter to the church in Colossae. And what I want us to do, uh, as it was in first service, I want us to uh, kneel before the Lord just for a minute uh, and ask him to speak to us in his words and in his scripture uh, that he might do a powerful work in our minds and our hearts and our lives um, this morning as we hear from him out of his scripture. Um, and, and even before we pray that way, uh, there's a, and you can kneel with me if you're able and willing. Um, we have a team in Kenya, a team of 17. Uh, so I, I'd love for us to pray for them. They're there through the end of the week and they return on Friday. Uh, my wife is there, my daughter is there, so selfishly I ask for your prayers. They're having a blast. God is doing a mighty work. Uh, a year ago, a team of 12 went, and uh, they, they were seeing these uh, new churches being planted as pastors went into these three villages, and, and one of the big prayers they were praying was, would God give them a building? So the, uh, this year, when the team went back, Courtney just told me this yesterday, they went to those three villages, and those three churches now each have a building, and they're worshiping, and we helped fund that some, but uh, really, the Lord has just worked in a mighty way uh, to, to put those three church buildings there, and we don't yet have a building so that made me think, Lord, could, would you give us a space uh, physically to worship uh, and praise you and plant lots of churches here for generations? So uh, we're going to pray for that first uh, and this team and that uh, building. There, there's uh, two opportunities that the Lord's put before us, and uh, one of those opportunities, uh, that church is making some critical decisions this week and in the coming weeks. So uh, 
Let's just pray. Uh, we'll pray out loud all at once uh, on that, and then I'll lead us in our next prayer uh, together. So let's pray all out loud all at once. Uh, the Lord will sort out our prayers and, and ask him to move in a mighty way uh, that this church might sell us this building. They would have great continuity and flourishing themselves, we would, uh, but we ourselves would get to disciple and plant churches and see the Lord do a mighty work in and through us for generations. So let's pray all out loud at once right now that he might do this. Let's pray now. And maybe even more importantly now, Father, each of us will come silently before you to ask that we might hear from you in your word that with or without a building we might be your people, be shaped by you in the scriptures, live, love, serve, give our whole lives to your son and follow him with all that we have. As we've been doing, we pray you might do even more in and through us for your purposes. So each of us now silently come and ask that you might speak to us in your scriptures and transform who we are this morning in your truth. Let's pray silently. Father, there might be different barriers for each one of us for different reasons or seasons in our life right now that we might not hear you. But God, we pray that you would draw us under you, to sit under your authority, under your scriptures and your word, to hear from you and have our lives transformed. We want to see your son more clearly, fall more deeply in love with him, give our lives to him more, that we might know the depths of the joys of knowing him and living in relationship with him. And we might see him glorified over and over in our lives in every piece of who we are and everywhere we go and all we do. God, transform our minds, transform our hearts, and transform our lives for your purposes and our joy. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're in this pivot moment in the book of Colossians, this letter to the church in Colossae, and Here's the context. We've, we just heard out of chapter 1 the glory of Christ, his supremacy, all he is and all he's done for us. So this kind of amazing list. It's a hymn that Paul kind of repurposes for this letter of, of who Jesus is and what he's done. And, and then he'll make this shift. He'll say, man, that Savior, this Jesus, he, he's worth suffering for, he says. We, we heard it at the very beginning of this passage. He, Paul says, I want to suffer for him that you, we, might know him more and live for him. He's worth that much, the cost I'll pay. And, and then he also says, and I, and I want us to be unified around him. He's worth so much that we might find our lives, you Laodiceans and you Colossians and, and every tribe, tongue, nation, all knit together in love around him because he's that worthy of our unity together in worship and praise and purpose to him. And then we get verses 6 and 7, which is really the core of the letter and then pivots into the rest of the letter that Paul will write. The core of this letter is simply 
Paul writes in verses 6 and 7, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. He says, as you have received Christ, now walk in him the rest of your life. Uh, uh, when, when suffering comes, man, don't jettison Jesus. Uh, when, when success comes and things are going wonderfully in your life, don't, don't jettison Jesus. When a, when a new way to live, a new philosophy, or a new way to think, or, or when you, you feel guilty about yourself and like you're not good enough, don't jettison Jesus. He says, as you have received him, continue in with him the rest of your life. Don't get rid of Christ. Don't leave him. It's interesting, uh, Paul titles him here. This is all about the lordship of Christ over our lives from start to finish. It's not about some prayer we prayed back in sixth grade that we've left and now we're just living our lives our own way. It's, it's not about coming and sitting in a pew on Sunday or going to community group. It's about living with and for the living God from start to finish. It's lordship, right? The title that Paul lays before here is really interesting. As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord. It's the only place in his letters that he puts all of those together in one kind of title, right? Normally it's like Christ the Lord or the Lord Jesus or, or one or two of these different titles. But, but here he slams them all together. He says, Christ, the anointed one, the one we're all waiting for, the supreme one, who God is going to send, has now come. Christ, the anointed one. Jesus, Yeshua, the Savior, the one who's going to save us from our sins. Him, the one who is the Lord, the sovereign one, king of kings on his throne who've come to us. He slams them all together to say, man, this Jesus Christ is your Lord and my Lord over every piece of our lives. He ought to take that throne in your mind, in your heart, in your lives, in all that we are and all we do. He describes it relationally as we've received, so we walk in relationship with him. As you are taught, he says, this is the, the good news, a gospel that you were taught, like it was handed to you from folks you trusted. Epaphras was there. Philemon was there in Colossae. And they came to these folks uh, in this early spring up of this brand new church. And, and they're talking with them all about who Jesus is. These, these are natives of Colossae. And they were taught by ones they trusted and knew and loved. And, and, and when Epaphras would say, man, I knew Paul. And, and Paul told me all about Jesus. Well, who's Paul? Who cares about Paul? Well, well, Paul saw the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. And they say, oh, okay, so it's connected to who Jesus is. Or when uh, Polycarp and others were saying, oh, I, hey, here's, here's this rule of faith, what we've learned, what I teach you now. And they're like, well, how do I trust you? Well, well, I walked around with the resurrected, the living Jesus from start to finish, these apostles. There's this rule of faith they're living by, as they were calling it at the time. This order of, of well, I know what's true because I've talked to, I've, uh, I've been taught by the ones who walked with Jesus. So Paul reminds him, man, I mean, you, we're that close to Christ and who he did. And, and, and if we didn't know him directly, we've got a friend who knew him directly and heard right from him. And, and just as you were taught, so cling to and follow in Christ. Don't give up on him. Now that these new philosophies, this new way to live has come. And do it how? Covered, abounding in thanksgiving from start to finish. This isn't some duty sort of thing, but this is delight in relationship with the living God from start to finish. 
If your Christianity is not relationship with the living God, then it's not Christianity. If it's coming on a Sunday or being a part of a community group or praying a prayer back when you were little, Paul says, hey, from start to finish, as you received him, walk in him. So, so, so this is the core. Uh, keep him number one. Revolve your whole life around him. Uh, make him priority in your life. I, I think most of us in this room would say, Man, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. So we go about it, right? We go about thinking, how will we prioritize him and keep him number one in my life? And, and if you're like me, you keep lists of certain things. And, and so uh, you might say, well, let's make Jesus the priority number one of my life. Right, so you, you take and you list the different things in your life and you think, man, I, I have a family, I, I go to work, I've got leisure time or friendships, and, and then I've got Jesus, right? So you, you would look at these things in a, in a pro kind of way, uh, how this is helpful, we, we would take this list and we'd say, man, what is number one? Where do I spend the bulk of my time? What do I think most about? When I daydream, where does my mind go? What, what shifts and moves my emotions most deeply? Where does my money go? And we can look at the different things in our life and say, is Jesus number one? Like, it's really helpful in that. It's good for identifying this list idea of who is number one in my life. But where it's not helpful, this idea is not helpful, is that it pits number one against number two. Right? It pits the different pieces of our life against each other. We say, man, I want Jesus to be number one, so I should just spend all my time praying and talking, never hang out with my kids, or, man, I should work less because, gosh, Jesus has to be number one. So it pits one against two. It's, it's unhelpful in that way. And, and you might say, right, if you're getting in number one, if Jesus is number one, we all become monks, and all we do is read our Bibles and, and, and huddle up in the corner talking to Jesus all the time. That's not what Jesus is after. Uh, the other problem with this kind of priority list way to approach making Jesus number one is that it segments our life in sacred and secular. You know, I got, I got my Jesus stuff here, and it's on this list, and oh, I've got to make sure that's number one, and then I got all this secular stuff over here, and I'll just make sure that, uh, you know, they're not getting up number one. But, and then, you know, it doesn't, that doesn't make any sense, though, right? Like you say, oh, I should love my kids less because I need to love Jesus more. No. It's not pitting against each other. That's not like a, a secular piece of your life. But, but what we want to do is we want to love Jesus the most. So last week we talked about it in this kind of way that we want to see our lives revolve around Christ. We want to see everything in our life revolve around who Jesus is and what he's done. Like the sun, uh, the earth revolves around the sun, right? Like every piece of who we are revolves around Christ. So you might, yeah, in this way, in a, in a helpful kind of way, it removes the sacred, sacred and secular, right? We, we put Christ in the middle of our life. I've been crucified with Christ. So I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And then we go to the different pieces and we say, well, what's that mean as I'm a, a dad? Or what's that mean as I'm a, a single? What's that mean as I go to my workplace? What's that mean in my friendships? What's that mean in my leisure time? Like, how do those things, uh, how are they shaped by my life in Christ as I live it out in these different areas of my life? That's super helpful for removing that sacred, uh, secular divide. And, and it also allows like this gray area as well where the spirit can move in our life. We say, and I've been created a certain way. So, so at work, I, I'm to live with creativity and excellence and diligence at work and, as I follow Jesus there. And, and so I want to work for Christ there in my workplace or in my family. I want to uh, raise my family a certain way that I would live for Jesus as a, a Christian dad or a Christian husband or a Christian wife. It allows for gray for each of us. How do, how do we work this out? 
But in a negative way, and the, the con of this is sometimes it ends up being pretty self-directed. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go there and I'll live in my Christian workplace the way that I think I ought to live as a Christian. And we kind of go at it there. And, and it's not super relational either with, with Christ. It's, it's, uh, it's all, almost as we say, uh, I'm following Jesus and now I'm going to go do that here. And Jesus, in a sense, stays behind while, while I go into my family or my uh, workplace or my leisure activities. And I, I live like a Christian there. It's not super relational. Sometimes it gets a little self-directed. Let's just take then how Paul says to go about this. Prioritizing Christ is number one. Letting our whole lives revolve around him. Listen to the language he uses in this passage. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Be in relationship in and with the living God. Walk in and walk with him. Yeah, yeah, it's good to know that he's number one on our priority list to revolve our lives around him, but, but we want to walk into every piece of our lives with him. You know, this is just how Jesus talks about what he desires uh, in our life uh, to be number one, to have our whole lives revolve around him. He says, uh, when he calls his first disciples, he goes, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Come along with me, right? Uh, let's walk into this life together. Then I, Jesus, will transform you into the kind of man, woman, or child that I, I want you to be. I will make you into a fisher of men. I'll make you a person who will live for me the rest of your life. I, I'll take priority over every piece of who you are everywhere you go. Uh, come follow me there. And I, I got to go to India a bunch of years back, and this is when we were, uh, we were wrestling with, Lord, what are you calling us into next? And... Uh, we were thinking maybe it's going to uh, work at Asian Christian Academy overseas in India, or maybe it's plant the church, maybe it's going staff. We, don't, we don't, didn't really know, and so we were discerning all these things. So for about two weeks there, I got to teach this uh, seminary class on parables. And so I go, and I'm with a, a pastor at, at the church at the time, and we go, and you know, I'm, I'm this young cat, even younger than I am today. Starting to, I hit 43. I'm starting to be like, oh, man, you know. And I go in there, and, but immediately when you come in as a professor of all these truly amazing pastors whose maturity was far beyond mine as they suffered for Christ over and over again, here's what happened. This moment of honoring would take place. You step, I stepped in there, and, and, and they listened to everything I said. Then after class, I got swarmed, right? Uh, Pastor Matt, and then talk about this. I wanna, I, what are your thoughts on this and this? And then I, I'm talking. We're kind of walking in a swarm. And then as we're walking, one of them reaches over, and he grabs my hand. And we just start walking hand in hand. And then I noticed this is kind of what they just do normally in friendship and relationship. They, they walk hand in hand down the road. And uh, so me and this other Indian student are walking, and, and, and he's got this honor towards me where I, I'm a rabbi of sorts to him. I'm a teacher of his uh, where he's honoring me in relationship. Uh, uh, but, but we're enjoying relationship together, and I'm trying to share what I can share. I'm learning from him. He's learning from me. Uh, but we had a relationship, but he, he looked at me as his authority. So there's this phrase in first century Judaism that says this, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. I love it. That's the picture. Uh, this prioritizing of Christ, this revolving our whole lives around him, it's relational. We're walking hand in hand. We're actually walking in Christ. He is in us and we are in him. That's the mystery. Christ in us, the hope of glory, him transforming us in relationship with us. 
Him getting into every piece of our lives as we go with Him into our workplaces and we work with Him, we work for Him with excellence and creativity, cognizant of the eternal souls we're working with. As we go into our families, we're trying to be the, the dads and the moms or the singles we long to be. We go with Him there. Every place we go, we go with Him, under Him, with Him, under His authority. And then every piece of our lives is transformed as well from how we think, the things we love, what we do, what we don't do. It's all over the scriptures, this idea of this uh, relationship that consumes our whole lives and transforms us by his grace. You know, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, he talks about walk as Jesus walked, walking with him, hand in hand. Or Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, the living God in relationship with him. Or Matthew 22, 37 to 40, that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. Every piece of us transformed by the living God as we love him and are in relationship with him. That's why we like to say around here, we want to follow Jesus together for the good of his world. That's what prioritizing Christ looks like. We want to follow him together in his purposes for the good of his world. And I, I want to just step back and make this very tangible, very nuts and bolts. What does this relationship then look like with the living God? I, I think I'd summarize it with the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God. That we would be people who are in His Word day in and day out. Every day. Look, this is not enough for hearing and responding to the word of God. But we would be people who are listening to his scriptures, cracking them open in the morning, uh, closing them up after we've read them at night, that through the day we would have them on our phone, we have it open on our desk even, that we are with the Lord listening to him and his scriptures. You say, I don't know where to start. Start in the book of Colossians. We provided a guide for you. Or start with the SOAP guide. This is a simple guide on our resources page. You just, it's an easy way to listen to the Lord in the scriptures, to hear his word and be transformed by him in relationship with him. The word of God. But then the spirit of God. We want to be in a conversational relationship with the living God who dwells in us. Then we talk with him day in and day out in prayer. That we say, Lord, I'm struggling in this area, or I want to hear your thoughts in this area. That we would be enjoying the relationship with the living God as we are indwelt by the living God. It's his power, as Ephesians 1.19 says, it dwells in us like the resurrection power itself. As this passage says, that it's Christ in us, the hope of glory, talking with him, listening to him. And then lastly, the people of God, that, that we would find ourselves in, in relationship in his family with his body, living and active in us and, and with us, linking arms, following Christ today, that we would find ourselves in our community groups deeply, in our 3Ds deeply, listening, sharing, getting to know Christ and, and having our lives shaped by him in his body. Something I've found super helpful and just really nuts and bolts here, day in and day out now, I started doing this. Through my day, I'll, I'll pray something and then I'll listen. And the first thing I'll pray is, Lord, what do you want me to know right now? And if I've been soaking in the scriptures, I know his word is a, a shaping my mind. I know out of Colossians, I've got the mind of Christ in, in 1 Corinthians. I, uh, that, then when I say, Lord, what do you want me to know? Then I, I literally listen. 
And I jot down ideas or I catalog those ideas. And if they're not contrary to the scriptures, if they enforce what I know explicitly is true of me and him through what I'm reading in the scriptures, then I say, okay, Lord. And so I, I prayed that this past week as I'm walking. Lord, what do you want me to know? And I was feeling alone. I was feeling down. I'm like, and, and the Lord was like, man, look, I want you to know you're powerful. <laughs> I want you to know you're a son or daughter of mine. I want you to know who you are and that I'm with you now and you can live in obedience and deeper joy. I want you to know that. And I'm like, man, that's right. In the, okay, that's right in the scriptures. I, I do want to know that. And here's a second question in this living, active relationship with the living God. Here's the second question I'll ask him. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do right now? So literally, I'm like, I'm walking down uh, after dropping Jill off at the bus stop uh, a couple days ago, I'm like, Lord, what do you want me to do? Like, uh, today, what do you want me to do right now? And I'm like, there's a guy with a dog there. I've talked with him a couple times. I think his name is John. And I'm like, I kind of, hey, why don't you talk with him? I'm like, okay, that's not contrary to the scriptures. Talk with him, be kind, <laughs> be loving. <laughs> and I'm not going to say, the Lord told me to talk with him. Right? I'm not going to say that. I don't know if that's the Lord nudging me, but I know it's not contrary to scriptures. But, and I've just asked him, what do you want me to do? So, so I'm like, hey, okay, I'll just talk with this cat for a little while. I'm like, I got a few minutes here. And so I, I stop, I'm talking with him. I, his name is John, so we're talking. And I'm, it's a, it ends up being a great conversation. And then he goes, yeah, aren't you a pastor? I'm like, I am a pastor. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. We're, we're, you know, we're kind of thinking about church again. You know, we went to this place. It was terrible. I'm like, oh, I don't know about it. And he goes, that place was terrible too. I'm like, okay. And, and then he goes, Where's your church? I'm like, well, we meet down in Silver Spring. And he goes, I think I'm going to show up. I said, great. What do you want me to know, Lord? What do you want me to do? All in the heart, all the mind, all the desires say, Lord, I want to keep your son number one in my life. I want to keep following from start to finish. I want every piece of who I am to be captured by who he is and transformed. I want every place I go, everything I do, to be shaped by who he is and what he's done. I want to walk in him. I want to walk with him. Now, where that begins uh, and where that's uh, attacked or the threat to that is a very interesting place. It's, it's our minds. It's thinking rightly about who Jesus is and what he's done and thinking rightly about who we are and what he's done for us. Uh, see, uh, notice where the passage will go, and this is where all of chapter 2 is going to go. We're going to get into the nitty-gritty more next week of these different philosophies. But uh, the first aspect uh, that will be attacked when, uh, when uh, Satan or the ways of this world or someone is trying to pull you away from living for Christ, the first aspect that will be attacked is this new philosophy. Listen to this passage. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirit of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Christ, who is the head of all rule and authority. And Paul says, see to it that, that you're not taken captive by new philosophies and empty deceit, a new way to think that, that gets a hold of your mind and creates new pathways that says Jesus is not the way and actually I need to go further or deeper into this new way of thinking and away from him. Paul says, look, see to it, be diligent, make sure that you don't let thoughts get into your mind that are contrary to who Jesus is and, and when they do, battle them. Romans 12 puts it this way. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. For this is your spiritual act of worship. Then he says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Getting into our minds what is true about who Jesus is and what he's done. Uh, knowing what is true and not letting new philosophies in that take us captive or empty that are uh, notice where they all end they are uh, not according to christ that's where every philosophy ends that's uh, opposed to christ uh, of the world it says uh, this is the jesus way uh, what we know is true of who christ is according to his scriptures and then this is according to the elemental principles or practices of the world if you walk this way, then it's promised in this new philosophy. You'll have life. You'll have greater freedoms or deeper joys. If you would just go this way, change your thinking from what you know is true of who Jesus and what we know of him in the scriptures. And notice how that's defined when we change our thinking and jettison Christ and, and he no longer is number one in our life. He no longer revolves around everything in our life and, and, and he no longer is the one that we are walking in and with. Is empty, is deceitful, at least the death. We're the opposite. Listen to the words described of living according to Christ. Verse 7, rooted, built up, established, being full with the fullness of Christ, filled where we were empty. Deciding who our authority is and who will teach us the truths that we will let shape our lives. So the first threat to uh, dethroning Christ in our lives and, and, and jettisoning him is thinking wrongly in new philosophies about who he is and what he's done. But the second threat is thinking wrongly about who we are and what he's done for us. And notice where this passage uh, goes next. It heads into the two lies we often believe as Christians or as people. Uh, which is, I don't belong, and I'm guilty or dirty. What I believe about myself, uh, when I step back and think, I, I know the thoughts I have, I know what I, I do, I know how I've treated my wife, I, I know how I've lived in my singleness, I, I know what I've looked at, I, I know how I'm uh, using my job as a platform for my own validation and, 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 and identity in my life. I, I know these things, and, and what I do is I think, ah, oh, man, I do not belong here with you, I do not belong with God, and, and I'm just dirty and guilty. Maybe it happened to you when you walked in here this morning. You know how you thought, what you thought about even last night. You know what you did this week or didn't do? And everyone here had smiles on, was looking pretty and nice, and you thought, man, I, I don't even belong here. I'm dirty and guilty. And Paul says that's not true don't let that thought into your mind verse 11 and he uses language we're not used to he talks about circumcision to say you do belong verse 11 in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you are also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him, Jesus, from the dead and therefore raised you from the dead. He says, we used to have this mark uh, and, and every Jew knew this, everyone in this context knew this, of circumcision, that, that you belong to the people, the family of God. 
And so a Jew would say, man, I'll be circumcised. I'll have my son circumcised to mark us as God's people. We belong. And here Paul says, you have a new circumcision in Christ. It's most akin to baptism that marks you as belonging as a son or daughter by grace. And why? Because it points to what Jesus has done in his death and resurrection to make you and me a son or a daughter. He says, you've been circumcised with a circumcision not from the flesh, but one from the Lord himself. You belong here by grace. You belong with the living God by grace. You belong in his body by grace. And he says, you who feel dirty and guilty, listen to what he says. <laughs> Verse 13, you, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision in your flesh. And God made you alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses. That's a fancy way to say sins or the ways we've uh, transgressed God and his law and said we want to live for ourselves, not for him. He says, what are you? Did you hear it? You're, you having been forgiven of all your trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands. See, you and I, we keep that list in the back of our head. I did this, I did this years ago, but it still lingers with me. And, and the guilt, you're still, you're still trying to make up for it by being a good person. Or, or that guilt has so captivated you, you feel so dirty and stuck. Or something you're doing right now and others don't know about or, or others do know about and they're seeing the shrapnel in your life. And that record of debt stands against us with its legal demands. But this, this he set aside, that record of debt he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in Christ. You think you don't belong. You think you're dirty and you're guilty. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You belong here with the family. You're forgiven. You're cleansed. You're pure. You who are dead, God made alive. You are forgiven. He nailed it to the cross. And notice the last word, triumphing over the authorities that were held against us. Sin and death no longer having authority in our lives. Made sons and daughters brought in by grace. We're going to do something this morning where I want us to take some refl reflective time to think about the areas of our life. Maybe it's something you've done in the past. Maybe it's something that somebody said to you that's just lingering. This lie that you're believing, even currently today, you know, maybe you're... Maybe your dad said something to you years ago. It's just stuck in the back, man. You are worthless, and then you believe it. You've been trying to live your whole life to prove him wrong. Or maybe you just feel absolutely alone. You say, well, that makes sense because I know my thoughts. I know what I've done, and I'm not done, and, and God certainly left me alone. I understand why he's bringing all this turmoil in my life. Maybe it's something you're doing right now in secret and you say, man, I'm dirty and shameful. 
Maybe it's why man, moms get hit with this the most. You look on Facebook and man, they're amazing moms out there. Everyone's so awesome. And all I do is yell at my kids and hate them. Or man, I never discipline my kids at all and they run rampant. I'm the worst of moms. And I look at the way I husband, and you say, gosh, man, I'm so bad at this. And, and, and this guilt and this shame just keeps piling on you from something you've done in the past, something you're doing right now, or, or maybe you're looking at, at some role you have in your life. You're saying, I'm just not living up to who I should be. We each have these red cards at the end of our piece, and we have an extended time to reflect on it. You've got pens there. and I want us to take some minutes here just to write down. What do you believe in that is absolutely not true? Of why you don't belong, why you feel guilty or alone or powerless or shameful? And, you know, some of us are going to write lots and lots <laughs> Some of us are going to write some big, bold couple of words that's sticking out. Maybe it's something you've done or not done. Maybe it's something that somebody said to you that's just stuck deep in your mind and heart and soul. Maybe it's the abortion you had, the affair that you took part in. Write it down. Write it down and bring it to God right now. now I want, go ahead and flip that sheet over. I want you to hear directly from God. When the word or the idea from his words here sticks out to you, or connected idea that he speaks to you through his scriptures here, when it hits, write those ideas down. Verse 13, and you who were dead in our trespasses the uncircumcision of our flesh we didn't belong God made us alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses how? by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands canceling it he set it aside nailing it to the cross 
He disarmed the rulers, the authorities, and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in Christ. Write down what is true of you, how and why you belong to him, how he views you, how he's with you. Write down what is true of you in Christ. When you're ready, and I'd like everyone to do this, come on down and, as the passage says, nail this to the cross. God himself did it for us in Christ. He nailed this. The record of our wrongs, our sinfulness, our shame. He made us blameless and pure in Christ. Come and nail to the cross and be reminded of all Jesus has done to make you his son or his daughter by grace. Rejoicing over him. Walking towards him and then walking with him into our lives. As you leave the place of the cross here, uh, make sure to grab your communion. And when you're ready, from either side, just take it on your own in reflection of all Christ has done for us making us his sons or daughters. If you're not yet believing in Christ, would this be the moment you, you come up here and you nail your sins and your shame to the cross and would you just receive Christ this morning? Talk to him. He loves you so deeply. Would you be embraced by his grace?